All right. Well, good morning, friends. Good morning. It's good to be with you here today on this beautiful Sunday morning. If uh, you're new here, you're joining us for the first time, welcome. My name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at Alliance Christian Fellowship. And uh, it's good to be here with you today, especially good to be here in Alumni Hall. And uh, uh, it's good to be in our sort of normal, typical space. Not that any of the spaces we've been meeting in were bad by any means. Thomas was great. We worshiped in Heritage Hall last week. But there's just something about Alumni Hall. It just feels like a homecoming. You know, it's like feels like home. So it's good to be with you. We'll be here next week as well, which happens to be our last Sunday service here on campus. Believe it or not, we are coming to the end of uh, the academic year, and um, uh, so that, that brings us to next Sunday being our last Sunday service here. And then the following week after that, uh, we'll be worshiping with our sponsored church, the State College Alliance Church, over on Whitehall Road. Uh, we won't coordinate rides, uh, but if you have a friend that has a car, we'd love to have you come over to their 1030 service and worship with us there, uh, and uh, that'll be the Sunday before finals week kicks off. And so um, glad uh, glad to be here. Oh, by the way, if and then after that, we go into summer break, and um, as campus disappears, ACF goes on sort of hiatus. And so uh, during those months, if you are in town and you're looking for a place to worship, we'll be at our sponsored church for the 1030 service, and so you're all welcome to join us for that. But today... We're continuing on in this short little uh, three-part series that we kicked off last week on Easter Sunday. I know some of you went home for Easter Sunday, and I hope you guys enjoyed your time celebrating Easter, the resurrection of Christ. And last week here on campus, here at ACF, we kicked off this short little three-part series called On the Way. Now, how many of you know Easter might be over, but Jesus is still alive? Amen? Like, that that hasn't changed. Last week, we said that just because Easter is over doesn't mean that Jesus crawls back into his tomb, okay? Jesus is still alive. Resurrection Sunday may have come and gone, but we live as resurrected people every day of our lives on this side of the empty tomb. And what we're trying to do with the series that we kicked off last week is wrap our minds and our heads around the reality and the implications of the resurrection of Christ on our everyday lives. We're asking the question, does the empty tomb have anything to do with my life here and now? And the answer is an unequivocal, absolutely yes. But the question is how? So we're calling the series On the Way, and the reason we're calling the series On the Way is because Jesus, shortly after he rose from the dead, he showed up on the way to a couple of disciples that were going back home to Emmaus, and they were on this road back to Emmaus. Now, how many of you know Jesus will do this even in our lives every, every once in a while? He will pop up and show up in your life on the way. Now, you might not be on the way to Emmaus You might not be on the way home, but you're on the way, living your life, going about your normal day-to-day business, and then Jesus will appear. Jesus will show up. Now, sure, not in the flesh. Now, in this story, in Luke chapter 24, Jesus shows up in the flesh, but Jesus will come to you by the move of his Holy Spirit. He will show up in your life every once in a while and surprise you on the way. Now, as we come to part two of this series... I want to look at this notion of on the way from a slightly different angle. In fact, I want to ask you to consider a specific question here this morning. And the question I want you to consider here is this. Have you ever waited for something that was on the way? 
Have you ever waited for something? It was on the way. Immediately, my mind goes to the world of Amazon, right? Like, I, I just, I, you know, if you're anything like me, we have a grown accustomed to relying on Amazon for our daily needs, right? Like, we might as well pray, oh, Jeff Bezos, give us this day our daily prime delivery, right? Like, that's it. We basically pray that. We're like, we, we need our Amazon orders. And if you are anything like me, you are obsessed with tracking the status of your delivery. Any, any neurotic people? Yeah, I see. Don't, don't be shame. You can raise your hand proudly, okay? I want to know, is my package what? On the way. Is my package on the way? Now, now you know, it's not just with Amazon orders that we see this. If you've ever uh, went in, uh, ordered an Uber ride or a Lyft ride, you know, and, and you're maybe in a city that you don't know, you don't have a car, you don't have a transportation, and so you order an Uber ride, and you want to know, is my ride what? on the way? Is my driver on the way? And sometimes you'll get a notification. Hey, I'm on the way. I'm on, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Some of us have ordered food on DoorDash or some of those food delivery services, Uber Eats and, you know, uh, Grubhub and what, what have you, which by the way, I don't know how anyone orders food on that and like doesn't go broke. I mean, just the markup on those prices is just astronomical. It's stupid. It's ridiculous, right? Like, but I've ordered food on DoorDash, and what I want to know shortly after ordering my food is what? Is my food on the way? Is my food on the way? Now, it doesn't even have to be food deliveries, right? You, you, we've, we've experienced this even at sit-down restaurants, You've gone to a restaurant, a restaurant and you order some food, and have you ever had your waiter or your waitress come by your table and say, after you've, shortly after you've ordered, I'm sorry it's taking so long. Be patient, but I promise you, your food is what? On the way. Your food is on the way. It's on the way. Have you ever waited for something that was on the way? Now, we can have some fun talking about Amazon orders and DoorDash orders and things of that nature and food deliveries and Uber rides and all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, none of those things really substantially change our lives. But there is something that I believe that is at the core of every human soul that we long for, that we want to know, oh, is this on the way, that lies embedded in every single one of us. I've titled my message today, Hope is on the Way. Hope is on the way. In fact, uh, this is such a beautiful morning to encourage one another. Would you turn to someone next to you and tell them, just encourage them this morning, hey, friend, hope is on the way. Go ahead and tell them, hope is on the way. Now, if you have someone sitting on the other side of you, tell them, friend, hope is on the way for you too. Hope is on the way. That's right. Hope is on the way. Listen, folks, as long as Jesus is alive, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've celebrated Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, last Sunday with us, with the global church, with the worldwide church, you need to know something. Hope is on the way. As long as Jesus is alive, in case you ever wonder, let me reassure you, as long as the tomb is empty and as long as Jesus is alive and sitting at the right hand of God, which is where he is, you can know with great confidence that hope is on the way. And today... I want to talk to us for a few brief moments about the place of hope in the life of the believer. Because I believe that if anything, if the people of God are to be marked by anything, it is hope. We are to be a people of extraordinary hope. 
the power of hope in the life of the believer, the need for hope in the life of the believer is what I want to talk about today. And so today, I'd love for us to turn to the, to the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. It's the same passage we looked at last week, Luke chapter 24, and I'd love to uncover some principles of hope and see just exactly how hope is on the way into our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. I'm going to invite Aaron to come back up. And as we take a second look at the story here this morning, uh, as you're finding your place, I I want us to keep our ears open, our eyes open to what the Holy Spirit might be wanting to reveal to us. This is the same passage. Again, it's a bit lengthy, but stick with us. For those of you who weren't with us, this is the passage we looked at last week, and uh, we're going to take a second look at it here this morning. So, Aaron? This is Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the one visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he, had, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with, who were with us went out to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it, buddy. Now, as we, uh, <clears throat> as we look at this passage, we, uh, we read this passage last week, and we're taking another look at this. And, and you might think, you know, th- this, this, this does seem awfully like an Easter type of passage. Uh, it seems like a passage meant for Easter Sunday. But don't be fooled, friends. The reality of what's happening in this passage is not just the celebration of the risen Savior. But it's actually something happening in this passage that happens inside of every single one of us. This passage highlights the reality of our human experience and how the resurrected Christ impacts that experience. And that experience that I want to talk about this morning is the experience of hope. 
The way I want to talk about our experience of hope is sort of multi-layered, and I want to walk us through this. I want to first talk to us about dealing with disappointment. And then I want to talk to us about adjusting our expectations. And then I want to talk about learning to wait for hope. But we can never, ever get to that place of hope until we first deal with our disappointments. And so let me first talk about this point of dealing with our disappointments or dealing with disappointment. The truth is, friends, I don't know about, the, I don't know about you, but for me, when, when it comes to hope, I find that many, many times in moments in my life, I find myself dwelling in this space. Oftentimes, when it comes to the, to the topic of hope, I find myself dwelling in this space, and that space is the place of disappointment. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed before on the other side of hope. See, we're, we're actually not too different than these two disciples on the road to Emmaus when you think about it. Right? Like when you, when you look at the condition of these disciples' hearts, they're on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears, but you'll notice that in that moment, they are in a deep state of disappointment. The text says that they stopped in their tracks and they looked sad. That, that's at the end of verse 17, if, in case you're wondering. That at the end of verse 17, they stop in their tracks and the text says they looked sad. Now that statement might seem like an insignificant statement at first. It's like, well, whoop de doo You know, they, 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 were, they looked sad. You know, it's like, well, 90% of us look sad 90% of the day. So, like, what's, like what, what, what's the big deal, you know? But you got to dig a little bit deeper to understand the true condition of their state. You see, some other translations describe them as long-faced or downcast. Right? There was a spirit of, of discouragement that was over them. Other translations say sadness was written across their face. It wasn't just a, a mild form of, oh, you know, my, my day could be better. My days, you know, you know how people ask you, like, how's your day going? How are you? And it's like, yeah, it's all right. You know, like it, it wasn't just like a mild form of like, nah, my day could be going better. There was this spirit, there was this deep sadness that was over these disciples, a, a spirit of discouragement once again written on their countenance that so much so it was a visible expression of something's not right here. Something's not quite right. If you were to sum up their emotions in that moment, one might say that they were dealing with severe disappointment. In fact, if we read on in verse 21, the disciples say this to Jesus, which by the way, they didn't recognize him at this point. They say this about Jesus. Verse 21, they say, but we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, get this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Now hear me, the fact that these disciples indicated that this was the third day was no small thing. This signifies their true state of disappointment where they are. Because you see, anyone who has buried anyone would know that after three days, the body starts decaying. The pronouncement of death is secured. Three days in, there is pretty much nothing one can do at that point other than to accept the reality of death and grieve, the mourn, grieve and mourn the loss of that particular life. Three days was a measurement you would use to indicate just how dead someone was. Three days in, they're not just kind of dead. They're not mostly dead. They are dead, dead. They are dead, dead. They're not just barely hanging on by a thread. Three days in, they're not on life support. Three days in, the tomb is shut and death is final. And this is where these disciples are at. 
See, for these disciples, the death of this Messiah, the death of this Jesus, you got to understand, for them, meant the death of their dreams. It meant the death of previous spoken prophecies. All the prophecies that have been spoken over hundreds and hundreds of years have come to die right in that moment with Christ in that tomb. This meant the death of the promises that have been held on to for ages by not just these disciples, but all of the people that they knew. These promises that were spoken, that they clung to, died with Jesus in that tomb. This moment on the road to Emmaus was a moment where they were feeling the death of all hope. Hope died. Listen, if you're not careful, friends, Disappointment that is not dealt with carefully can lead us to despair, and despair often leads to hopelessness. Deep despair leads us to deep hopelessness, and when all hope is lost, you find yourself in a pretty dark place. I wonder if you've ever been in that place before. Like, maybe not, maybe not where the disciples were, where you're dealing with the death of your Messiah. And I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a place where you find yourself disappointment, and that disappointment leads you to a place of deep despair where the countenance on you is one of deep despair and discouragement, where sadness is written across your face and despair, that despair leads you to a place of utter and complete hopelessness. Uh, Friends, I wonder if you've ever been in a place like that before. If you're anything like me, when you begin to feel hopeless, you just want to give up on life. You know what I'm talking about? Like you just, and, and, and maybe for some of us, it's quite literally wanting to give up on life. For others of us, it's just, I want to crawl into a hole and never come out. For some of us, we we want to just wave the white flag and we just say, I, I give up. I've taken enough of a beating. I've taken enough of this life. I, it's just, it, it's, it's too much to bear. And, and you find yourself again in that hole of hopelessness where you say, I am three days in now. The tomb is shut, death is final, and all hope is gone for me. Now look, friends, I don't want to get super dark and super heavy here on a Sunday morning. It's a beautiful day, so I, I, I do want to lift us. But before we lift us, I want to acknowledge that hopelessness is real. Depression is real. Darkness, like if you've ever been in a dark place in your life, a dark season in your life where it's really, really hard to see the light, darkness, I want to say, is very real. Disappointment is real. We're not denying the reality of any of that. But friends, you know what else is real? The resurrection. The resurrection is real. Just as real as the darkness that you find yourself in. Just as real as the hopelessness that you find yourself in. And so I'm going to say it again. As long as Jesus is alive, you can rest assured hope is on the way. As long as Jesus is alive, death is not final. Darkness is not your destiny. Hope is on the way. But in the meantime, we've got to come face to face with our disappointments. Again, disappointments that are not dealt with leads us to deep despair. And despair that is not dealt with can lead us to a hole that is incredibly hard to climb out of called 
hopelessness. And when all hope is gone, you find yourself in a pretty dark place. The worst thing you could do is to ignore your disappointments. We've got to deal with disappointments. Now, one of the ways that many of us end up dealing with our disappointments is by adjusting our expectations. And that's the second thing I want to talk to us about here this morning, adjusting our expectations. When we find ourselves disappointed by someone or by something or by some circumstance in our lives, your tendency and my tendency is to what? It's to adjust our expectations. We say, because I was disappointed in this way, I need to adjust my expectations. Because a lot of us, the disappointment comes when we have unmet expectations. We had hoped for something, and that thing that we hoped for didn't quite pan out. And so when we experience unmet expectations, the resolve, the resolution for many of us is, well, I guess I've got to adjust my expectations. And what we're really saying in that moment, and maybe we've even articulated it in this way before, is we've got to lower our expectations. I'm talking about like, isn't that what we do when we find ourselves disappointed in an effort to not get disappointed again in the future? What do we do? We lower our expectations. We say, well, I just, I just expected too much out of that person and I got burned. I just, I just expected too much out of that situation. I, I put all my eggs in that basket, and it, it didn't pan out the way that I thought. I ended up disappointed. I just expected too much. I expected too much from that relationship, and it ended up hurting me down the road. And so the natural response in those moments becomes, well, I guess I've just got to lower my expectations. And that's where these disciples were in this, today's text. It's a little conversation that these two have with the risen Savior. is one where they're essentially saying, you know, I think we may have expected too much. I think we had a, our expectations set a little too high. We, and, and, and lo and behold, we were disappointed by the results. And so what are we doing? We're lowering our expectations. We're lowering our heads quite literally, and we are just going to head back home. Three days in, tomb is shut. Death is final. These ladies said the tomb was empty, but... There's no body. As long as there's no body, the death is still secured. The death certificate still stands. And here we are. I think we just expected too much. And then Jesus shows up on the way. You remember what Jesus' response to the disciples were in verse 25? He says to them, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart. Now, now when, when you hear that, you might feel like, oh, you know, like that that's, it stings a little bit. Like, they, you know, like talk about kicking someone while they're down, you know, like Jesus. These guys are like, you know, they're, they're in a pretty dark spot. You know, they're hopeless. And then you come, in, but, but, but hear me, this is not a word of condemnation. It is a word of lift your eyes up. He's saying, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart, lift your eyes up to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You don't want to know, you want to know what Jesus is really trying to say here? He's saying, friends, why are you lowering your expectations here? Because the answer to finding hope is not found by lowering your expectations. The answer to finding hope is knowing where to place your expectations. It's not about lowering your expectations. I expected too much, therefore I must lower my expectations. No, no, no. You just misplace your expectations. It wasn't that your expectations were too high. You misplace your expectations 
The answer to finding hope is knowing exactly where to place your expectations. In fact, as believers, we are to be people, again, I said it before, marked by great expectations, marked by great hope. If we are people who are supposedly marked by hope, that by very definition, friends, makes us people of high, great expectations. I love how pastor and author Paul David Tripp put it. He says very simply, hope for the Christian is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. Hope for the Christian is a confident expectation of a guaranteed result. It's not a lowered expectation. It's not expecting less. Well, I guess I won't expect much after all. No, for the believer, for the follower of Jesus, for the person of faith, hope is a confident, a great, immovable expectation of a guaranteed result. In other words, it's not a preferred result. It's not the kind of result that we think should happen. It's a guaranteed result. And you want to know the only person who can guarantee those kinds of results? It's God and God alone. And so when I say know where to place your expectations, friends, hear me. This is what I'm saying. I'm talking about being confident and expecting God to do what only God can do. When I'm talking about knowing where to place our expectations, I'm talking about being confident in expecting God to do what only God can do. One of my previous mentors, he would often put it this way. You know, when you come before God, come to him with expectation without agenda. When you come before God, come to him without, with, with expectation, come expectant. Come anticipatory, come expecting, but not without any agenda. In other words, expect God to move in your life, but don't determine how he will move in your life. Expect God to do incredibly extraordinary, exceedingly abundantly great things in your life, but do not determine what that looks like or how that looks like. Just be confident that he will do what only he can do. That's what hope looks like. True hope is expectation without any agenda. And this leads us to our last point here for this morning, and that is learning to wait for hope. We've got to learn to wait for true hope. See, part of learning to wait for hope is learning to expect without agenda. Expecting God to move and expecting God to do what only God can do. Expecting God to move in your life, but not determining how it is that he will move in your life. And, you know, as I talk with with other believers and other Christians in the faith, you know, they're walking through life, and I've shared this with them before. You know, come come expectant, without any agenda. Come anticipatory. You know, like come hungry. In fact, one of the things that I encourage our leaders with every Sunday that we gather together, like before everyone comes in, I say, come hungry. Come hungry to meet with Jesus. Come hungry to meet with God. Come expectant. But don't set the agenda. That's not for us to do. Like, you, you and I don't set the agenda. And the question that I often get is, well, if I don't set the agenda for how God moves in my life, or I don't have a picture or an idea in my head of just exactly how it is that God will work in my life, how will I know when God works in my life? How will I know when God moves in my life? My answer to that is very simply this. You'll know. Trust me, you'll know. You remember what these disciples said after encountering Jesus on the road to Emmaus? Verse 32, they said to each other, Hey, 
Is your heart burning on that road? Like when Jesus was walking with us, were our hearts not burning as, as he talked with us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? See, when God shows up on the way, you won't need to question it. You will know when the living Christ, the resurrected Savior, shows up in your life and he starts moving on your life. He'll make himself known to you without any question or without any doubt. All you need to do is hold on to this confident expectation that God will do what only God can do. That's the first step to learning to wait for hope. Raise your expectation level. Raise your anticipation level. Raise your hunger level. That's the first step to learning to wait for hope. Don't determine how God will work in your life. Just be confident and expectant that he will. Now, let me say this as well. Let me say this as well. When we wait for hope, we need to acknowledge that there is a difference between optimism and hope. Now, I got to tell you, um, you know, as as a New York native, born and raised, I was not gifted with the gift of optimism. That's not in my, that's not in my core, in my, it's just, I'm a glass half empty. I'm a cynic. I, I'm a, you know, a skeptic born and raised, you know, like, and God's working that out. You know, like I'm trying to be more optimistic and, and uh, my wife always has a comment about just like my furrowed brows. Why are your brows always furrowed? Like just loose, just relax. She'll literally walk up to my face and before, and she starts massaging my eyebrows. I just relax. Like not that, you know, it's, it's going to be fine. It's all good, right? Like, and so the, I'm, I, I want to talk about this difference between Optimism, oh, the glasses half full all the time. Like, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful day, even when it's raining. Now, shut up, man. It's raining. Well, it's not a beautiful day, okay? Just, it's, it's a it's a crappy day, you know? Like, oh, no, no, it's, it's an optimism, right? Is that hope? Is that, are we talking about hope? Is that what hope looks like? You see, the hope and optimism might look similar on the surface, but there is a deep and subtle difference. In fact, let me offer these thoughts of J.I. Packer, a theologian who passed away just a couple of years ago. He offers these thoughts on the difference between hope and optimism. We have this quote up here. Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his or her life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. I love that. You see, optimism is a weaker and lesser version of Christian hope. The hope for the believer is rooted in something far more substantive, far more substantive than just keeping your fingers crossed and, and, and just hoping and wishing that tomorrow's day is better than today. Our hope, friends, is rooted in an event that took place that took what was the most hopeless situation, the death and burial of the promised king, and turned it around to become the message of hope for all the world to cling to, that the king is alive. And friends, I'll say it again, as long as the king is alive, friends, we can know that hope is a sure thing that is on its way. Hope is not the same as optimism. Now, let me just say this one last thing as well on learning to wait for hope. This waiting for hope, this waiting for hope is not a passive kind of waiting. It's not a passive kind of waiting. Like when, when we say wait for hope, 
the, the book of Habakkuk speaks about waiting for the hope of the Lord, waiting for the Lord. Isaiah speaks of those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Like it, it, oftentimes, like we think of waiting like we're waiting for our DoorDash order, waiting for our Uber driver to come, waiting for our Amazon package to come. Like we're, we're just passively waiting for hope to come crashing into our lives. We just kind of, we think waiting for hope is just sitting back, kicking our feet up on our lawn chairs and just waiting for hope to come into our lives. But learning to wait for hope, friends, is not passive. Waiting for hope is an active, holding on to Jesus kind of waiting. You know, it, it strikes me that at the end of the trip to Emmaus, these two disciples, what, what do they do? They turn to what they believe is a stranger. But they know something, something about this is different. This ain't no, this ain't no random stranger. When he talks Something burns in my heart. Something, something comes alive in my spirit. They know that this isn't just any random stranger. And so what, what, what do they do? The text says that they strongly urge him. Hey, stay with us. Stay with us. Now, now at a first reading of the text, it might seem like they're just being charitable. And they're saying, look, it's kind of a a late night to be driving into the night. Like, it's like, you know, just, just stay with us. It's already late. No, no, no. It's like, there was something deeper that was happening here within the hearts of these disciples that, that they would strongly urge. Why would they strongly urge this person to stay with them? They strongly urge. That's what verse 29 says. Their hearts were burning as Christ was walking with them and sharing truth with them, so much so that they end up begging Jesus to stay with them. They don't want him to go. And they don't want to let him go. Friends, when we talk about waiting for hope, when we know, like we, we, we prayed it earlier, like, Lord, I don't want to make it about my feelings. I don't want to make it about my circumstances. I don't want to make it about anything else. I want to make it about your presence. Because when your presence comes into my life, things change. When Jesus shows up in my life, things change. And that's what was happening here. In this moment, they were experiencing this change. And these disciples said, oh, no, this guy's too good to just let go. They strongly urge Jesus to stay with them. You see, a proper waiting for hope looks like fiercely holding on to Jesus. Because after all, that's where our hope comes from. It doesn't come from out there. It doesn't come from inside here. Hope doesn't come from that relationship that you're seeking or that thing that you're seeking after. Hope doesn't come by getting that, 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 that career path that you were hoping for, that, that graduate school that you were hoping to get into, and all these things. The plans that you have laid before you is not where hope comes from. I mean, you talk about plans being just blown up into smithereens. Like, these disciples, they're like, we had hoped. Now, here we are. We had great plans. I mean, like we, we had great hopes and great expectations and all these plans laid out. We had a five-year plan. We had a 10-year plan. I, I thought, man, this is it. And then it just, just blows up. But when Jesus shows up, there's something that happens in the heart of these disciples that makes them say, oh, stay with us, will you? You see, waiting for hope is not a passive, well, I just, I'm just, 
I'm just going to wait until hope comes. That's not hope. That is not Christian hope. Hope is saying, Jesus, because I know you give hope, because hope is found in you, in your presence, in your personhood, I'm going to fiercely, relentlessly hold on to you. I'm not going to let you go. Oh, I strongly urge you, Jesus, would you stay with me here? Right here, in my place of disappointment, in my place of despair, in my place of hopelessness. Oh, Jesus, won't you stay with me? There's this active waiting for hope that we are called to. Our hope comes from the living Christ who conquer the most hopeless of all situations, all so that he can come to us and show that there is no circumstance in our life that is too hopeless, that the risen, resurrected Savior cannot show up. Listen, l- last week we talked about how Jesus meets us exactly where we are. That was the, that was the bottom line. He meets us exactly where we are. In fact, worship team, you guys can come on up and we're going to get ready to close I said this last week, but I'll say it again because I think it's worth repeating. When, I, when we talk about Jesus meeting us exactly where we are, right? Like Jesus shows up on the road to Emmaus to these, to these couple of disciples. Sometimes we can turn that into a sentimental kind of message. Oh, you know, isn't it, isn't it great that Jesus meets me where I am and it just, just you know, gives me the warm and fuzzies and it's just, it's so like, a, you know, Jesus is like my, cosmic teddy bear. You know, it just makes me feel good on the inside. That's not why Jesus shows up to these disciples. Don't get me wrong. When, when Jesus shows up, there will, there will be something that is felt at your core and something that is sensed at, at the deepest level of your soul. But for Jesus, the end goal is not to make you feel something in that moment, but it is to take you someplace down the road. It's to say, it might not be a maze, but it's, it's to say, hey, just let's, let's walk together. Let's talk together. He wants to take us somewhere. And, and friends, let me just say this. If we have enough faith to follow Jesus wherever it is that he's leading us, I'm telling you right now, he will lead us down paths where he restores extraordinary hope in our lives where the places of our lives where we have been stripped of hope, where our dreams have been crushed, where we have found disappointment, where we have experienced hurt at the hands and the, and, the, and, the, and the work of other people in our lives, and we feel despair and we feel a sense of hopelessness. Friends, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if today, if that's where some of us are in, where we just feel hopelessness in our spirit and in our soul, where sadness is written across your face. And maybe the world doesn't know it, but you know deep down inside, man, there is a burden that I'm carrying, a weight that I'm carrying, a kind of hopelessness that I'm carrying. I feel like I'm in a dark place. The reason why Jesus meets us exactly where we are is so that he can take us someplace different, so that he can let you know, hey, I want you to know, as long as I am alive, you can know hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. Hope is on the way. I'd love to pray for us here these 
in this moment before we close out with this last song, if you would just bow your heads with me.